0: Welcome to Out of Gage, I'm Janet Nodar, Senior Editor for Breakbulk and Project Cargo with the Journal of Commerce. During the virtual 2021 Journal of Commerce Breakbulk and Project Cargo conference, industry leaders shared their insights into what continues to be an unusually tumultuous market. Our speakers included shipper and supply chain executives with unmatched experience in this sector and subject matter experts discussing crucially important topics. This podcast series, Out of Gage, provides insights from key sessions and presentations from the 2021 conference. Thank you for joining us. Hi, I'm Mark Sacconi, Executive Editor of the Journal of Commerce, and welcome to our session, Force Majeure, in a congested late COVID shipping market. It's my pleasure to be joined by Elizabeth Lowe, partner at Venable, to tell us a little bit more on what we're seeing on Force Majeure and what transportation providers and their shipper customers need to be keeping in mind. Elizabeth, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Mark. As Mark noted, my name is Liz Lowe. I am a partner at Venable in Washington, D.C. I'm in our international trade and logistics group. Force majeure has now become a very sort of standard term. I'm sure everybody is well aware of it. But just as brief background, force majeure clause is a standard contract clause that addresses what occurs in the event that unforeseeable circumstances prevent a party from performing under a contract force majeure clauses have really moved to the forefront of contract disputes in the last year plus due to COVID-19 and the resulting restrictions.
0: Now I'm remembering obviously we saw some forwarders announce force majeure and we'll talk a little bit more what happens in terms on the break bulk side but I'm interested when was the last time we saw this kind of force majeure activity?
1: Uh, So an example mark of a relatively standard force majeure event in the industry is work stoppages. So strikes, labor disputes, 2015 is a good example. The West Coast labor dispute, you had a lot of carriers looking to their contracts to see whether they could invoke force majeure to excuse delays, for example. Most force majeure contracts include references to labor disputes, strikes, et cetera. Another more recent event that presented a little more of a gray area was the Hanjin bankruptcy. That really put the industry on notice about preparing for these types of contingencies. One of the suggestions floated around during Hanjin was the use of a force majeure provision. Generally speaking, bankruptcy doesn't count as force majeure. There's usually some sort of market circumstance that makes it, while not predictable, not unforeseeable. But in the wake of that, we did see a lot, in particular on the shipper's side, but also on carrier's side, of people addressing Specific financial contingencies in their force majeure provisions.
0: Now, I, I imagine none of those provisions were a uh, the first major worldwide pandemic in a hundred years, correct?
1: That is correct. The major difference here is just the expansive and extremely disruptive nature of COVID-19. It's really affected everyone in the supply chain, economic industry, physical restraints across the board. The market in certain commodities effectively disappeared overnight. You've got slowdowns due to smaller workforces, irregular goods flows, lack of vessel space, congested ports. COVID-19 has really been the perfect storm um, that has increased force majeure focus in the supply chain and the maritime industry. The industry has responded relatively well to it. Ports, warehouses, freight transportation, those were all deemed essential services. right? right? So they didn't shut down entirely. There were obviously some limitations on operations. On the shipper side, however, in particular in the break bulk sector, harder to adapt. right? If major construction projects grind to a halt, there's there's not much that a shipper can do. So you did have a lot of cases where you had the customers, the the purchasers of transportation services or other contractual services being the ones who are trying to invoke force majeure in these events.
0: Without getting into too broad of a generalizations, what, what kind of response did they get when they pulled that card?
1: So a lot of cases are are still pending. So there's a lot that's still yet to be seen. There were a couple of break bulk specific cases, one involving cement um, and a charter party to transport cement and the other involving salt, um, bulk transport of salt. The salt case is still pending. The cement case, it, it really looked sort of leaning towards the court not recognizing COVID-19 in that event as the force majeure triggering event but it ended up settling. So again, sort of hard to say exactly how that would play out.
0: Now, we saw some forwarders on the container shipping side announce force majeure in in terms of not being able to complete certain contracts for customers. Have you seen transportation providers in the break bulk and special project sector do that? Or as you noted, has it only been mostly from the shippers not being able to deliver that cargo as contracted?
1: As far as cases that have been filed, it's really more on the shipper's side. That's not to say that there haven't been private negotiations where a carrier says, look, you know, I can't get into the port because of all the congestion due to COVID-19. So I'm going to be delayed and we need to negotiate how we're going to move forward with that. But we, ha- I haven't seen it as a defense invoked in the courts at this point from the ocean transportation carriers.
0: So it seems not only have we seen a different way that force majeure has kind of flared up, obviously in terms of the pandemic versus kind of a bankruptcy commercial collapse or work stoppages on the West Coast. How else is force majeure evolving as shippers and transportation providers use it? It seems like it has kind of gone from a some text and a provision or a clause, and now it's kind of becoming, as you noted in our earlier conversations, kind of a part of a risk calculation. Can you talk a little bit about that evolution and where you see it going?
1: Absolutely. Historically, force majeure clauses have really been viewed as sort of a throwaway clause, right? It's, you know, your lawyer tells you you've got to include it. It goes in the miscellaneous section of the contract. Nobody really looks at it. It's a boilerplate standard language. The cases that are going on right now, and and there are dozens of them in the U.S. alone, really look at that language to see, did parties define what the triggering event was. Does COVID-19 count as a triggering event? Was COVID-19 the actual cause of the lack of performance? So this renewed focus on force majeure, I think will trigger a couple of changes. First, I think parties will really start to see this as a risk allocation provision, and it is negotiable, right? So You don't have to use standard boilerplate language. You can shift the risk so that perhaps the carrier takes on most of the risk. In exchange for that, they might require higher rates. Right. Vice vice versa, if the shipper agrees, all right, you know, I'm willing to take on the risk of another pandemic causing a delay in my shipment, but, you know, I want a higher level of service or lower rates or a reduction of the contract cost. For example, overall, not an upfront reduction, but a reduction in the event of a force majeure circumstance.
0: Okay. So when you're talking to clients, what is some of the language or, or considerations that they should be thinking about now?
1: That's a great question, Mark. And you know, a lot of it depends on the specific contract. The force majeure provision should be tailored to that contract. What is the contract for? What services or goods are being considered? What types of force majeure events Mm -hmm. could impact that and what type of impact could they have? So one of the important things is clearly defining the triggering events. So is a pandemic going to be added in or are you going to specifically exclude pandemics? There was a case recently where the judge found that COVID-19 constituted a natural disaster. So if you have natural disaster as sort of general language in your force majeure, You might need to assume that pandemics are covered. So if you don't want them covered, you should exclude them. Also, specifically defining what the relief is. If there's a force majeure event, does that mean you can terminate the contract? Or does that just excuse performance for a limited time period? And then you have to resume. Are there time periods? So does the event have to be ongoing for a minimum of five days, 10 days before it becomes force majeure? Another big thing, and, and frankly, something that folks can do if they're already in contracts that can't be amended, is looking at the notice requirements and defining notice requirements. Does the, does the other side who's invoking force majeure have to notify? Right. Okay. the other party? Do they have to take specific mitigation actions? All of that really needs to be looked at more from a practical sense and clearly defining the responsibilities of both parties and the risks of both parties.
0: Now, I imagine when there's not that clarity, then that comes down to the attorneys kind of trying and both sides, trying to find some kind of negotiated settlement, correct?
1: Yes. And, you know, a lot of the case law that's going on now will will impact a lot of that. An interesting series of cases are the cases against United right now for canceling flights. Whether the courts allowed United's force majeure defense to go forward depended on the timing of the cancellation, right? Did you cancel the flights because you were reducing the number of flights to address economic issues, the reduced demand, or did you cancel the flights because there was a travel restriction and the government lockdown? Ultimately, how the courts rule on these dozens of pending cases will also inform the negotiation of these contracts and provisions going forward.
0: Now, it would seem that considering the increased importance of it and the shippers being more aware of it, that would counter kind of a response from the transportation providers. So now you've got both sides looking at force majeure in a different way. Are there certain blocks? Or suggestions on how both sides can kind of find something that helps them share the risk, not only in terms of setting out the conditions so there's clarity and it doesn't have to kind of go into this kind of legal wrangle, but something that feels like both sides are carrying, I guess, the right amount of burden.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, again, it's going to depend on the contract itself. But a couple of things, removing sole discretion So oftentimes force majeure, whatever party it is that's claiming force majeure, can do so at their sole discretion. So, you know, perhaps that should be more of a discussion between the parties. Let's talk about it. Is there a way forward or is this really something that prevents performance, makes performance impossible of the contract? Another thing is the exclusivity of remedies. So make sure that both sides have equal remedies While it might not be the same remedy, both sides should have a remedy that works for them. So on the shipper side, it might be termination, right? Mm -hmm. If their contract downstream is gone, they might have no other option other than termination. On the carrier side, maybe it's just excuse of delay. So it, it is a question of looking at the roles both parties play and Tailoring those remedies to both sides. But by looking at where both sides stand, you're more likely to end up with a mutual sharing of the risk.
0: Now, I've got to think we're looking at an environment globally where we see analysts and they're saying, you know, the geopolitical risks are increasing. The risks from climate change, whether it be flooding or fierce storms, are all rising. I'd be interested in kind of seeing, as we see this kind of threat of risk elevate, how do you see that kind of shaping force majeure language and, and what shippers and transportation providers should be considering?
1: That's a really good question. I think just as the pandemic has elevated force majeure, these climate threats, for example, will also elevate it. And I think it is something that people are thinking about already, right? So again instead of force majeure being sort of at the end buried in a contract i think it will be much more prominent and it will likely address things specifically such as climate disasters you might also end up with um you know moving away from any sort of any sort of timing guarantee okay right and moving more towards ranges that you know is something that would benefit the carriers now on the shipper's side especially in you know big construction, project, cargo, et cetera, delays can be a big deal um, and can create significant um, issues. So you're going to have that sort of push and pull between the parties about how much um, leeway are we going to allow for these types of events and um, ultimately who's going to bear that risk. Because in that event, you're going to have somebody who shares more of the risk, one party that has more of the risk.
0: Okay. All right. Um, are there any other trends um, that you think uh, shippers and transportation providers should be should keeping an eye on?
1: Um, well, the other thing I think just to, to keep in mind in particular, uh, more on the the shipper side is the downstream contracts as right. well, right? So it's not just your contract with your carrier, with your transportation provider, but how does that then link to your contracts with your customers? you you as the shipper have agreed to take on more of the risk from your the mm-hmm. contract with your carrier. Are you passing that risk down to your customer? Are you making sure that you're protected so that you don't end up in a situation where you've got risk on both sides? Ah. Um, so that that's really an important thing, I think, that people need to be thinking about and is going to become more prevalent um, as this type of litigation continues and likely becomes more frequent.
0: Yeah, i mean that makes a lot of sense because not only not only is the level of risk rising but we know that supply chains are becoming more intricate rather than becoming simplified so I, I think that's an excellent point it's not just the shipper with the transportation provider it's the shipper with their potential suppliers or vendors and so on exactly yeah very good well liz thank you again for taking the time i think this is a, a great timely discussion I, I will have to note i mean while we don't see any major disruption on the COVID level um, for the break fall for the container shipping market. You know, if this, this year has definitely shown um, not only that things can get thrown out, but we also have a, other big hurdles coming up. We've got uh, a big US West Coast longshore labor agreement um, that is gonna be contract that's gonna uh, expire uh, next year and there's already some concerns about potential disruptions so i think there's definitely going to be we may not see a, another huge wave of force majeure being used um but people should definitely be watching because uh, the disruptions are not are not going to stop and i think one of the most interesting things about our conversation here is just you know it, it's that kind of black swan it's like there's something else that may happen but we don't know what it is and th- this
1: time around it was that pandemic Absolutely. Yep. Got to be prepared for the unforeseen circumstances. Good luck on that. (laughs) Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Mark.
0: Thank you for joining us today for Out of Gage. I hope to see you in New Orleans next April 25th through 27th at the 2022 Bulk and Project Cargo Conference.